we're going to start the book of Hosea tonight. We are live. We want to welcome all of you that have joined us wherever you're at, around the state, around the United States, somewhere else in the world, anybody who gets this podcast in the next few days. Uh, we're going to get into a new book tonight. We're going to get into Hosea. I'm never really, I'm not amazed anymore every time I go back and study something again of uh, how much I learn new. <laughs> Uh, God's word, his riches are unsearchable. You cannot get to an end of a God in whom there's no end. Right? He don't, there's, he's infinite. So we're going to study Hosea, and you're going to see some stuff that I hadn't seen before, and I'll share it with you. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, but a lot of times the smaller prophetic books are overlooked. Uh, unfortunately, they were called minor prophets, which there's no such thing as a minor prophet. Does that mean they were like 12, underage, or does it mean they're lesser? Uh, in any case, neither one of those is true, most likely. There were a few, few men like Josiah, who was eight years old when he went to the throne. There's some young men, Timothy, uh, Joseph, Daniel. But Hosea is a form of Yahshua, or Yeshua means God's salvation. And so this is... Uh, what God is offering them, but you're going to see some things in this book, so let me pray, and let me share the backdrop, if we get past the backdrop, we'll go into a little bit of, of the text tonight. Father, we thank you for this day, thank you for your love and mercy, we thank you most of all for sending your son to die in our place on that cross, that was our cross, and he took our cross and hung upon the tree. We thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in the dark, you've called us out of the darkness, into the light, and your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light in our path, and we're so thankful. And how relevant is your word, as we're going to see once again as we study this prophet Hosea. We're so thankful, Lord, that we are able to look to your word for truth, and we're able to look to your word for strength and guidance. And we know that as long as we stand with the word, we will be fine, because you said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will stand forever. And everybody said? Amen. So this book's about God's uh, dealing with uh, the northern kingdom's unfaithfulness. Like a wife, he, he illustrates that like an unfaithful wife, you know, unfaithful man or wife. But in this case, he's using an unfaithful wife because God is the husband and he's referring to Israel as the unfaithful wife. This is the only northern prophet who wrote a book. The rest of them were out of the south. So Jeroboam broke away. They broke away right after Solomon, his two sons, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. They broke the kingdom up. They were divided. So you had a northern kingdom, which consisted of ten tribes, and the, and the south that consisted of Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites because of Jerusalem. So most of your prophets were from the south. The, about all of them, with the exception of Hosea here. He's raised up in the north, and he's a contemporary with Amos, which we studied a lot in the last few months. He's also a contemporary with Micah and with Isaiah. So all these guys were alive at the same time. Jeroboam was like some of the presidents that America's had in the past. Very good leadership in some ways, like the world likes. But Jeroboam was amoral. And this is what cost the northern kingdom. He started letting idolatry in. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say to you because it's just, this is about Israel. But the things that were written for our learning, what you're going to see in Hosea is America. That's what you're getting ready to see. Because most of our leaders, state and federal are amoral now. If we flip the clock back for 30 years, a lot of these people who are okay with killing babies weren't just 10 years ago. A lot of these politicians that were uh, against same-sex marriage, you can find them uh, speaking that just 15 years ago. So what's happened in this country is We've become, a lot of our leadership has become immoral. And it is 
based primarily on they care more about what people think than what God thinks. And, and we got to be careful not to step in that either because sometimes we'll have situations that'll come up. We will be standing with God's Word until it's close to home. And then we got to still stand for God's Word, right? But a lot of folks won't do that. So we're, we're here to stand. Let me say something. None of us would have any breath of life physically or spiritually anyway if it wasn't for God. So our first allegiance should always be to God. He's the one that created us. He's the one that gave us eternal life, salvation through His Son, all those things. I saw a church sign yesterday that said, uh, the number one rule for following God is to never make God number two. And so no matter what the issue is, so Jeroboam became a moral guy, He did anything. Let me give you the definition for that just in the English language. Uh, it means no moral distinctions. You do your thing, I'll do mine. Who cares what's right or wrong? No moral distinctions or judgments. Not caring about right or wrong, somebody who's amoral. No concern about behavior and no concern for what is right or wrong. And we've seen that spread throughout this country. Now, if you remember when I preached on Amos and taught on Amos for a season, we found out how it's possible, like the New Testament talks about, there'll be a, a great revival and a falling away at the same time. Because what happened in Israel, the nation got judged, but there were pockets of revival. Josiah was one of those pockets of revival. So, you, God, some people were flourishing while the whole nation was getting plundered. And I think that's what you're going to see in America. I, you know, I, I, don't, I won't argue with this, but I'm just going to tell you how firmly I believe. I don't believe America's turning back to God as a nation. I don't believe that. But I believe you're going to see pockets of revival. Because the Bible also says all nations will come against Jerusalem. You know what all means? It means all. And when you're coming against Jerusalem and you're cursing Abraham, according to Genesis 12... You're not going to get blessed. You're going to get in trouble. So America's going to fall in line with that eventually. My prayer is that it happens after we're gone, the rapture. Uh, but we don't have any guarantees of that. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for everything. And so it's possible for us to flourish just like the children of Israel in Goshen. They had light when the whole country was dark uh, in darkness. So God can do that. God is... Uh, uh, I'll tell you how big God is. We were, I was discussing this with several of you before church about how I saw where a jaguar could hold its breath underwater 20 minutes. Can you believe that? I couldn't, so we looked it up again to make sure it was true. And so it's 15 to 20 minutes. A jaguar cat can hold its breath underwater for 15 or 20 minutes. Now, there's no explanation for that except for God. God can do anything. That, the reason I brought that out is He can do anything. It's blown my mind that a big cat, a big fat cat, can hold its breath underwater for up to 20 minutes. That's, that's unbelievable. And you all have heard me when I've taught on Genesis and stuff talk about the Brachinus beetle. The Brachinus beetle that can blow 300 and some degrees Fahrenheit out of his back end and survive. I mean, God makes the bumblebee who can't fly, but He does. I mean, you just, it's, He's amazing. So God, He can do anything. He can cause you and I to flourish when the world's getting destroyed. What do we think about Noah? Why did they get seven of the clean animals instead of just two like the rest of them? Because Noah was eating good on that ark. You all know what it's like. Some of you know what it's like to go on a cruise. Right? Do you, you think Noah wouldn't have all those nice meals because they brought the clean animals, they brought seven of them. He was going to eat good while he was floating on the high seas. So your God is able to do far above what we can think or ask. So to be amoral is to come to a place like this country's come to. Don't judge that person because they can do their thing and, it's, and they can pray to their God. And You see how far along we've got with that. You know? In fact, we have some institutions and some churches that say, you pray to your God and I'll pray to my God, and, they, and then we'll all come together and, and pray to that one supreme architect in the sky. 
So we've really dropped the ball here, but a, a nation that walks away from God has nothing good to look forward to. And we've got a whole list of people and nations in this, and not only that, but in our history books, as we've watched nations be destroyed even over the years after the Bible has been written, the nations that forget God. In the book of Psalms, the Bible says the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Turned into the grave is probably the more specific rendering there. But they, there's nowhere to go if you walk away from God. Individually, family, nations, whatever. There's nowhere to go if you and I walk away from God. He's the, he's the, he's the only one that owns truth. None of us own truth. And I've heard some of this lingo in our culture lately. I have my own truths. No, you don't. No, you don't. But they use that to disguise their sin. That I, this is my truth, right? You don't, the Bible says there is no private interpretation of truth. There's one truth embodied in the Son of God who is the Word of God. And He gave it to us in His Word. So we're in a bad, we're in a bad way as far as finding our way. As a group, as a nation. Because there's just so much. And you're going to be astonished here because here's some things that they did that Hosea is going to call their hand on. Jeroboam was good. He was a good politician. He was good at it. But he was amoral. He was anybody's dog that would hunt with him. I had a lady in the church years ago who worked for a powerful politician in this state. And... She came to me after service one time and said, I'm in a dilemma. And I said, why? She said, because I'm taking phone calls for his campaign. And so I asked him where he stood on abortion. And he said, when they call you, find out where they're at, and that's where I'm at. In other words, find out who's calling, find out where they stand, then tell them that's where I'm at. So just tell them what they want to hear. Right? That's what the Bible said the last days would be like. Bringing in the leaders. And some sad, we was hoping that we could keep the pulpit clean from that, right? But it's not. Uh, the pulpit's gone that way too in a lot of churches where people are just, they're just telling what they want to hear. So Jeroboam was a good, he was a good, and like I said, we've seen that here in America. You know, uh, JFK in some ways was a good president as far as a natural leader. Some of these guys are, you gotta, you got to remember, some of these guys are gifted and called and given gifts by God. They just choose not to follow it. Chief in point, Elvis. Elvis Ray grew up in the church. And he walked out on it. And we've seen a lot of that with entertainers. So it's, it's not, it's, the callings and the gifts are without repentance. So a guy can be gifted by God. He can be given leadership qualities by God because He knows all of us before we're ever formed in the womb. But they can do their own thing. So we've seen this before. We, and we're seeing a lot of it now. Guys who maybe have some skills in leadership, but they don't care about God or the ways of God. And there, there is where it all, I believe it all started with Saul because Saul was given a direct commands from God. And when Samuel came up to check on him, he asked him, he gave him a chance to t explain himself. He said, hey, do you do everything God asks? He said, yes. And all of a sudden, bah. Samuel said, well, if you did it all, why am I hearing these sheep bleat? And he said, well, the people, right? That's a big line. Because Saul made a decision in that moment to care more about what the people wanted than what God wanted. And that's where most politics is at. I won't say all of it because there, there are some Daniels in our country. And in our world that love God, that God's placed in those realms. But that's the problem with this country. We're in a, now, let me tell you what Jeroboam emphasized. And this will open your eyes to why this is about America. They emphasized, the biggest things they emphasized in their idolatry was Baal and Ashtaroth. The reason that's important is because that's exactly what we're doing in this country. We're emphasizing what those two false gods stand for. We're doing the same thing here in America. Baal was the agricultural nature god. Isn't that what everybody's freaking out about? It's getting too hot. The oceans are rising. 
We got to take better care of our, our natural resources. I'm not against that. But they've made it a religion. And they didn't read the right book or they know how the world ends anyway. It's not going to end that way. And then Ashtaroth. These are the two gods that, ba- that Jeroboam was really promoting. The one that makes agriculture or a mother earth. What sounded so simple in the 70s in this country has now raised its ugly head. And Ashtaroth was all about sexuality and perversion and fertility. What are the biggest battles going on in this country? Has to do with fertility slash abortion, right? And sexuality. There's five million genders now. And then nature. We're all, you're all condemned if you cut a tree down and burn it in your fireplace. In fact, some states you're not even allowed to do that. Because the earth, see now what's happened. Man has consumed with his own lust. And he's, let me tell you why they're worried about, they're, they're consumed with global warming and all that stuff. They've changed the names I can't keep up with. Because they're afraid to die. That's what it is. See, that's what gives us so much freedom as believers. We don't have to be afraid to die. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And he saw it. That's why he wanted to go on. Right? He, got, he saw a man, knew a man, well, he's in, and he talks about being caught up in the third heaven. All that, he knew what was in store. So if, if you think about our culture in this world, it's driven in some ways by the fear of death. Fear of what's coming. Fear of what might happen. Right? It's like the guy in Proverbs where it says, I'm not going to go out in the street. There might be a lion out there. You remember that proverb? There might be one out there. <laughs> so this, this Hosea, his name means salvation, where we translate it all the way, bring it all the way down to Jesus. He's the only prophet out of the northern kingdom that wrote. He's living in an adulterous culture that Jeroboam has, has, uh, has illustrated or has promoted, I should say. And then God uses him in a very strange way. you got to be... Totally sold out to carry out what God asks you if you're Hosea. Because he's asked to marry a harlot. And to know that all the ridicule and all the hard times he's going to face by doing that. Some of these prophets were asked to do some tough stuff. So God looks at Israel as an unfaithful woman to him, an unfaithful bride. You're going to see throughout this book how long-suffering and merciful and how much grace God offers them. He's pleading with them. You've got Isaiah pleading. You've got Micah doing some of that. Amos doing some of that. And then you've got Hosea out of the north chiming in with the same kind of uh, woo, to woo God's people back. Now, here's the thing. You've got to understand the same thing happens here in America. Because of our choices and because of their choices, they got brought into barrenness. Now, God keeps calling them to return, but they keep refusing. And if you watch that progression with Isaiah, Isaiah entreats them like a father. Jeremiah comes up trying to get them to come in like a brother. And the next thing you know, God raises up Ezekiel and says, you're done. It don't matter if you repent, you're getting judged. And if you look at America, I believe God's done the same thing here. He's called us back to follow Him. So because of their choices, they, brought, they were brought into desolation. The sinner does not receive God's chastening. The follower does. And I'll prove that to you. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 before we get into Hosea. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul, I believe Paul wrote it, or the Holy Spirit talks to us about God's chastisement. In chapter 12, look at verse uh, 5. 12 and 5. 
After he talks about Jesus and all he went through, then he turns to instruct us. He says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as, as to sons. Addressing sons here. His children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Now that's a big statement. Everyone that God's going to bring into Himself, He scourges them. We all get chastised because none of us are perfect. We all need correction. We all need God's intervention into our lives, steering our lives and calling our hand on certain things. Rebuking us, reproving us, that's part of the Christian walk. It gets a little stronger. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? Now think about that. He chastens all of his offspring. Every single one of us. And he says, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I did not discipline the neighbor's children. I disciplined mine. And you didn't do that either unless you want to get in a fist fight with a neighbor, right? You and I discipline our own children. We don't discipline the neighbor's children. And so... When you get into Peter, God said judgment will start at his house first, and then he's going to judge the world. Nothing leaves a worse taste in anybody's mouth in the community for a dad and a mother to come into situations that's tumultuous and shout and get on to everybody but their own children. Makes us all want to puke, don't it? And God doesn't do that either. God's not going to judge the world and not judge his church. So Peter said he's going to judge, judgment will begin at the house of God, and then he's going to turn to the world. Now if you notice, we've been watching that. We've been watching God work on His own house probably since the 60s, but it really kicked into high gear in the 80s. God started cleaning up His house. Because the end is near. And so God judged His own house first. You, you and I have watched the tumultuous things that whole denominations have went through because God's cleaning this house up. It's a, it'll leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth if you chastise everybody's child but your own and your child's right in the middle of it. And so God's going to judge His own house first, then He'll judge the world. He says, If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have, made, we have had human fathers who corrected us and paid them respect. So we've, you know, we've treated them right. Paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and to live? For in, they indeed for a few days chasten us as seems best to them, but he for our profit. God's... To, as I said Sunday, we don't add anything to God. When I came to God, they didn't wipe their brow and say, Whew, we finally got Him on our side. Well, we can go somewhere. <laughs> That's not how this works. He's all God, whether we show up or not. For God to be omnipotent means He exists internally. Do you know that cannot be said about anyone else except for God? That means God, for God to be omnipotent and to be the God the Bible proclaims Him and what we've seen Him to be, that means He needs nothing outside of Himself to exist. That's the only being in the universe that can be said about. Even the devil's created. And all the angels. So we, have, we are reliant on God's love, power, system, creativeness to survive. But God exists internally. He's always been. So when I come to God, I don't make Him any more lovely. I don't make Him any more powerful. I don't make Him any more apt or able. He's all God whether I show up or not. So when God does things in our lives, 
He's not doing it. You know, let's be honest. Did you ever challenge your child or get on to your child in public? And maybe you felt bad about it later. Maybe you thought you should handle it behind closed doors. I felt that way when my dad done me that way. <laughs> Let's get to the house and deal with this. <laughs> but sometimes we're reactors, aren't we? Myself included. We react, and the reason, now listen, the reason we're disciplining them in part is because we're embarrassed. God don't do that. That's why He's perfect. We're embarrassed of what they're making their family look like or how they're acting. And maybe sometimes they need to be confronted on the spot. I, I think that's probably true. But how we handle it. But God does everything for us. He has no hook in Him. Think about it. He has no eros in Him. He has no hook thinking, man, I'm going to look bad and people are going to think I'm crazy and think I don't have control of my son or my daughter. And, I mean, all these things go through because we're human. But God does everything for our benefit. God would have been fine if He'd never created us. In fact, I think sometimes He'd probably been better off. <laughs> As I look in the mirror, right? Myself. I'm thinking, woo, I like what one person said. He said, if we knew what free will was all about, we'd have said, here, God, you can have it back. We don't want it. Right? Don't give us that. But that's, you've heard me say this before, that's the only way a relationship can happen. So God doesn't force Israel. He uses Hosea the prophet to woo them back. That's his desire. But a forced relationship, we call that rape, right, in this country. Something that's forced is, has no value relationally. So God's all God. What was he after? He was after a relationship. We don't bring nothing to him. We don't come to God and say, hey, this will help things go a little better, so we're bringing it to you. That don't happen. So God is just in love with us. The Bible says we bring Him pleasure. We're like His children. We are His children. And so He chastens those whom He loves. He says, here it is. This is all for us, right? He says, for indeed if they chasten us, it seems best of them. And that's how parents are. And sometimes we blow it. Listen, all my children are grown, but they can all tell you probably that I have asked them to forgive me at times because I overreacted when I was trying to discipline. I got in the flesh. So I've had to ask for their forgiveness before. But here he says, but for our prophet, he says, but he, speaking of the Lord, he does it for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So chastening, and I'm going to say this, I'm not going to define it for you tonight, I'll define it for you in another session. But in the New Testament, chastening includes physical hardship. It's part of the Greek word. I know we all just want God to just come by and say, boo, and leave us alone and not be too hard. But sometimes it's physical things. Man, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've seen people go through physical things that's got their attention, and God's put them where they need to be after that. Maybe all of us could testify to that to some degree. And he says, we're getting trained by it so that we can be a partaker of His holiness. And then here's the key, and all of us feel this way, and even as maybe being disciplined ourselves in the natural when we were growing up. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. Think about that. That our training requires discipline. In this journey. That God's not always going to speak sweet nothings to us. Sometimes He's going to correct us. Sometimes He's going to put us in our place. I've had that happen. And so God confronts us. I, I had that happen about a year ago. That I shared a couple of Sundays ago. I mean, God put me down. I knew it was coming. And some of you have probably even heard me say it before. God came into my room, into my home that day and confronted me about the situation with losing the little girl that I was really struggling with. He, came, he had me down physically. I couldn't hardly move for about eight days. And he had my attention 
And then about six or seven days into those eight days, he showed up at the house one day. And I knew it was coming. But when he left, I was transformed. The, the generation before mine made a mistake. Not everybody, but as a group they made a mistake. They said, you've done something wrong. You're going to get spanked or disciplined or whatever. And then you're going to go upstairs and miss supper. And I don't want to see you into the morning. That's not how God disciplines. Once the discipline's been inflicted, that's enough. I can tell you, and maybe Jared would say, yes, that's true at this point in his life, that after I've had to discipline my children, I've had some of the most wonderful moments with my children of embracing each other in love and renewing my love to them. The discipline had nothing to do with about long-term punishment and you have to go to bed without supper. Where's that at in the Bible? Poor old Tom Sawyer and those guys, they had to go to bed all the time without supper. You remember Tom Sawyer? But sometimes after those tough discipline moments, we've had some of the best relationship time. So that my children, I didn't provoke them to anger. They didn't take it. It wasn't personal, but it's about part of their training. Why would you spank a child for darting across the street and, and hopefully not dying the first time? Why would you spank them? Because the next time they come to that street, it's going to trigger something. Now, there's a difference between abuse and doing this one the way God tells us to. And in this book, he's going to show it to us. He's going to show us a beautiful way that he disciplines. So chastisement does this. It brings us into holiness and it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. For all you parents that discipline your children, the rest of us thank you. He says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. And that's true. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline is a part of training. We do it in all kinds of circles because it keeps us sober and triggers things. Now, let's go back to Hosea and let's hear what he's got to hear right off the bat. He, uh, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, uh, who is, means fountains of water. That's what his father's name meant. So you got salvation coming from the water, the fountain of water. Hosea, salvation, his father is water, springing up water. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah... In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So they started calling the northern tribes Israel. And they started calling the lower tribes Judah or the Jews. Now we blended all that over time. But all the sons of Jacob were Israel. Then they split off and, and they were, some of them retained that. And the others took on Judah slash the Jews. For the Lord began to speak to Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea. Now imagine waking up and going to talk with the Lord one morning. This is what he says to you. Go take your wife, yourself a wife of harlotry. Now I tell you the first thing probably hit him was like. That's got to be the devil. Right? I mean. You remember what Peter did. God told him to slay and eat. And it was something that was unclean. And God said slay and eat. And Peter said No. I'm not doing it. And then God corrected him because he was getting ready to teach him something about his righteousness and the Gentiles and all that, right? So he says, whatever I've cleansed, don't you call unclean. Remember, God went through that with Peter. So think about some of these people who've been put on the spot 
Was it Ezekiel that taught God into letting him use cow dung instead of human dung? God said, I want you to make the fire with human dung. And God's reasonable. Ezekiel talked him down to cow dung, I think, to light his fire. So, but God has asked these guys to portray things. They're his vessel. So, but I'll guarantee you, these, what we got to not forget, these people are flesh and blood like us. They're just natural people. There are no supernatural people. They're all, we're all common people used by a supernatural God. And so here this guy is, whose name means salvation, whose dad means springing up water, his name, and now he's going to be God's man, his prophet. And the first thing God asks him to do is to marry a prostitute. Then, if you go through God's Word, you're going to find all kinds of people that He redeemed. That used to have bad ways. But you know what? If we look at them and say, well, they were bad people, we're not seeing ourselves. Because the Bible says if you break the law on one point, you break the whole law. So it doesn't really matter what part of the law you break it in, you're still breaking the law. Rahab was a harlot. And she was the only one that could figure out what was going on. She, told, she brought the spies in. Imagine how that looked. I mean, this stuff's real. But she hung a scarlet thread. They said, you hang a scarlet thread in your window so that we'll know where you and your family are at, representing the blood of Christ that was to come, right? She believed. Why did she? And so she believed. So she put some action in that belief, some pisteo, faith. She was a fader, so she hung that thread. She didn't have no control of whether she would live or die or not. She just believed what they said. That's block thinking. And that's where God's trying to get us. Surely, if a foreign prostitute can get it, those of us who've been raised around the things of God and the house of God can say, okay, you speak the word and we're moving. And we don't care what's down the road. We don't care if the bridge is out or not. That's not our concern. You said to start moving and we're moving. That's who we're called to be. Take God at His word. You don't own tomorrow anyway. Jesus told us to not worry about tomorrow. He said, tomorrow, get here when it gets here with all kinds of junk in it. He said, but you just live today. You get up and walk your faith out today, every single day. You be, and I'm going to say this, you be like Rahab. You hang that thread in the wind and say, I've had a horrible life. I've got all kinds of sin behind me, but I'm trusting in the Word of God, and I'm hanging this thread in this window, and I'm believing what God is saying to me. <laughs> Naomi, Ruth went on, Orpah went back, right? There's a parallel there. Some go on, some go back. But Ruth believed everything Naomi had taught her and told her she laid her life into that. And she was willing to go back. She said, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to, your God will be my God, your people will be my God. She was in. She was all in. And she just lost everything. But she was still all in. What did Job say? He's talking about losing everything. He said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. Why? Same thing Peter said. Because when Jesus said, hey, all these people are gone. He said, you guys, you're leaving too. And Peter said, hey, we ain't got nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. That's truth. That's life. Life is not stuff. Life's not what you and I possess. Jesus says in, in uh, Luke chapter 12, a man's life is not uh, made up of the things that, the, uh, that he possesses. Our life is him. In him we live and move and have our being. That's who he is. And so he's told to marry a prostitute. For the land has committed great harlotry. So God's going to use him as an illustrated sermon. And that's why I use this board all the time. Because we will retain most of us, some if we see it on that board, more than what we hear. So God uses these prophets as illustrated sermons. And he says, uh, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of, of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So what God was saying, and he could say that about America. We are adulterers to God in this country. No other nation has come even close to being as blessed as Israel except the one you and I stand in tonight. We are the second on the list. Our socks have been blessed off. 
and the way we've walked out on God and legislated against God over the last 30 or 40 years, the way we've kicked Him out of everything, the way we've asked Him to leave the courtroom, the schools, you could go on and on and on. Even the churches, some churches. I don't even want to talk about God and His Word. If we are in the same position that God is looking at Israel here. We are, we are adulterers. Did you know that they brought the arch of Baal and put it in New York City? Two or three years ago? We got people wanting crosses took down. We got a statue of Satan out in Oklahoma. And here's where it's at with Christians. Forget politics, it's Christians. Here's where it's at. Uh, you conform and, and like and do what we say, but if we do something, you, you just tough it up and live with it. That's where we're at in this country. So we've got a dynamic going on here just like the northern kingdom because we are so concerned with nature, we worship it, and we're con so concerned with sexuality. Did you ever think you'd live in a country to where people are, are identified by their sexual choices or the color of their skin? That's how everybody wants to be identified now. And I'm not promoting this guy from a Christian standpoint, but anybody that's ever, probably if you've read and been into leadership situations, you've heard of Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? And some of the stuff he says in there is really good. But he don't really bring Christ into that, and there's a reason why, because he, he didn't see Christ the way we do. But he made a couple of statements that were pretty powerful statements in just the course of leadership. He said, we've come into a culture, now this is when he wrote this, we've come into a culture that now it's no longer what you really are that matters, it's what you get people to perceive that you are. That's why all this social media stuff, most of it's crazy. Huh? You go, uh, <clears throat> you get a date off there, and they say they look a certain way, and you go see them, they look like a witch from Salem. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you can be anything you want to be right on there. You can portray, and that's, that's what a lot of people are doing they, their whole life. And that's why I, I, I'm not impressed with the virtual reality stuff. I think it's leading us down a rat hole that we'll never get out of. Amen. Virtual everything. Everything's by proxy. But he, he stressed that. He said, we live in a culture now, it's not who you really are. It's who you can get people to think you are, basically. And there's a lot of that in this culture. So God tells them, said, you're, adult, you're uh, committing adultery on me because you've gone astray from me. He said, I'm your husband, you're my wife. So he went, back to so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. So what God starts doing, He starts pouring out judgment. And let me, and this, you all, I, I, we went through the book of Isaiah a couple of years ago extensively. I think we spent over a year in it. And so what God does, He starts with some judgment, right? And... And if you remember in the book of Isaiah, which is going on the same time that Hosea is going on, he kept saying, turn, turn. And he said, if you'll turn, God will stop the judgment right this moment. Remember that when we were studying Isaiah? He kept saying, turn. Isaiah kept saying, you guys turn, come back to God, and, and God will stop the judgment. He will, he'll quit it. And same thing going on here with Hosea. God brings some judgment, right? If they would repent... And remember what repent means? This has been so watered down. And it got watered down, if you'll remember, I told you this, when they translated the Greek to Latin. Because the Greek word <coughs> is not based on emotion. It's based on action, right? That's probably a bad, that looks like the hook I always use. But this guy's going this way, right? He goes this way. If he repents, he turns and goes this way. When, they trans when Jerome and those guys translated Latin, and, and the Catholic Church, they place, and this is not right. It's wrong. In the Latin, they place the emphasis of repentance on emotion, not on action. The Greek don't do that. You can't have repentance without action, according to the Greek word. But that's how things get watered down. And now, what most people call repentance is that they feel sorry about what they did. 
Right? And I'm going to go something may shock you right here. I'm not talking about your words. Because the Bible said, the, the Father said, hey, you guys go uh, work in the garden today. And the one said, I'll go. And he didn't go. And the one said, I ain't going to go. And he wound up going. They didn't have another big discussion. He just proved by his actions, right, that he turned and went the other way. That's what real repentance is. Real repentance is saying, this, uh, you and I are going this way, which is wrong, the wrong way. And when we repent, we turn and go this way. We don't just feel sorry about it. And I don't care what you tell other people or don't. Just talk to God. But if you really repent, forget your words. What have you done? This action. It's all about action. So repentance means that I'm going this way and I repent and turn and go this way. That's what repentance means. And that got so watered down because the Latin Bible was so widely used for years in so many circles. And they placed the emphasis on emotion. And now we got a whole culture that's emotionally driven. If you didn't hear the three months I preached the difference between the soul, the spirit, and the body, I want you to go back and watch those things on YouTube or listen to them on the podcast. That soul man will drive you if you let him. But man don't live by that. Man lives by the words that gets implanted into his spirit by the Holy Spirit. He gets the power to take charge to make the mind do what he wants it to do instead of the mind telling the spirit that what it's going to do. But here's the problem. We are so governed by our soulish man or woman so long before we get saved, it's the natural tendency just to keep doing that. That's why the Bible says you got to keep your mind renewed. How do you keep your mind renewed? you got to do it with the Word of God. And live with like mind. I don't care how old you are. I'm going to say this. I've been saying to everybody. One of the greatest secrets to overcoming sin or temptation is to stay away from it. It's really that simple. One of my closest friends who taught me how to pray, he was a prayer warrior. He was an alcoholic. And when he got set free, he got set free. And when he got set free, the Lord set him free. He quit going to the store. He made a point to find stores that did not sell alcohol. He didn't go to stores that sold alcohol anymore. When a commercial would come on, he loved to watch different kinds of sports. And if he was advertising beer, he'd turn the channel. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. That's just first grade stuff in Christianity. The best thing we can do for temptation is avoid it. Stay away from it. And it may cost you some relationships. But it costs Jesus everything to save us. And then he says, he says he, so she goes out. Look what it says. She took Gomer, the daughter. She conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, because he's getting ready to bring judgment, right? And bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. So the judgment's coming. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. And he said, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. So there's the difference. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom's getting ready to get plummeted first because Judah's still trying to serve the Lord and do the right thing. And then he said, She conceived and bore a daughter, and God said to him, Call her this, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I, have, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God, and I will not save them by bow, nor by sword, or battle, by horses or horsemen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. We don't win these battles. We don't fight flesh and blood. Now, when, he, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Cutting them off. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So he's speaking of a restoration, which is good news. He didn't leave them without any hope. But he's come to the end of where their sin's at. He said, This is no more. I'm stopping you here. Then the children of Judah, then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be together. So he's reunited. And we've seen all that, right? In 1948, Israel became a nation again. And we've been watching. And you, you and I... 
not just prayerfully and prophetically, but financially. You and I have been a part of that for years. We are helping bring Jews home every month in this church. That's part of the end of time. They're gathering back home. They're gathering back as one, not as a divided nation. He says, The children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be together and appoint for themselves one head. They shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. So God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. You're going to see that in this book. But they're so stubborn. They're so hard-headed that they, they wind up getting judged anyway. I think that's a word to our nation. We're stubborn. We're hard-headed. I mean, I've even heard people say things like abortion being a blessing. Now, I say this just about every time I get on this subject. That if you've had an abortion, you can be forgiven. God's all about forgiveness. I don't want ever anybody to leave thinking that they cannot be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Moses killed a guy, stuck him in the sand. You can be forgiven. But as Christians, we can't say wrong's right. That's not how you get forgiveness, by getting somebody to compromise. That's repentance just based on emotion. Well, I feel bad about what I do, but I still believe in abortion. That's not repentance. You, if somebody's had an abortion that's listening to me tonight around the world, you can be forgiven. But you've got to quit saying it's okay. Right? And for all those people who use the excuse that I was born this way, whatever your sin is. All of us were. The Bible says we're all born into sin. There's none good, no, not one. That's not an excuse. We're all born into sin. You may have chose this path to go after a particular sin or a particular lifestyle. But when we come to Christ and repent, we turn from our sin. No matter what the sin is, we're not here to categorize them. We turn from them. So this excuse that I was born that way, we're all born into sin. We're all, let me just say it like I want to say it. We're all born warped. Every one of us. We're all born in the flesh. We're all born sinners. We have a tendency to be self-centered, self-seeking, and do things our own way. Sin may manifest itself in a thousand different ways. But you know what sin really is? Sin is when this guy or this gal or whoever says in their heart, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do it my way instead of your way. That's what sin is. It may manifest itself in a thousand different ways. But sin is simply saying, I'm going to do what I want to do in spite of what you've asked me to do. That's sin. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you, Lord, for the message that we have of your grace and mercy, but also of justice, justice that's based on your criteria, not mine or not the world's, but yours. Thank you, Lord, for all the mercy and grace we see in these prophets. We just pray, God, that as we walk with you, that you'll make us stronger, more equipped, and that we'll understand the day we're living in. And that we know that we're living in a country just like Hosea is describing. Teach us your ways so we can stand and do what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.